I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The only thing that Tom Brady has to fear is pushback from an FDR quote that he posted. We'll explain. And the NFL plans to open training camp as scheduled July 28th and play games with fans and tarps. The Hall of Fame game, however, was canceled. We'll see what that means. And then Shaq Barrett, he says he's about 50-50 on signing his franchise tag tender. What has changed with his situation? And the Lightning are practicing again at Emily Arena. We've got all that and your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Versnick. We've got a lot to talk about before we get to the mailbag questions, Steve. And uh, I'll start. Where most conversations start around here with Tom Brady. <laughs> uh, he was back out there Thursday with his teammates, and that is not necessarily breaking news anymore. We know that the NFL PA and their doctor in particular has said that he prefer that these players not have these private workouts, especially with COVID-19 on the rise in many states, no, no more than Florida, uh, which just set another record, I guess, on uh, Thursday. But Brady was back, and not only was he back, um, but after the practice, he posted another picture of himself with the with the famous FDR quote about uh, "We have nothing to fear but fear itself." And you know, I mean, not a surprise necessarily that that Tom is is fearless. We know this about him. We know he's like you know Jordan that way in terms of like just being a obsessed worker and um, you know. Just his drive and determination and all of that is is rare. That's what makes him the GOAT. So fine, he wants to practice with his players. That's great. And he got a little criticism for it uh, after we wrote the story uh, of him and his teammates being out there on Tuesday. But for the most part, everybody falls into one of two camps. It's like, you know, hey, that's, uh, you know, that that's awesome that he's out there working as hard as he is. Or they come down on the other side and say, well, you know, it's kind of a lack of decency because you're ignoring social distancing just as cases are are increasing and in, in turning Florida into a hot spot. So the the curious thing is, and this is where John Romano wrote this column in Tampa Bay Times, um, on the only thing we have to, well, the first day after Tuesday's um, appearance at practice that was reported, he just tweeted a picture of him and Gronk close together that said no excuses. And on Thursday... Uh, he had a shot of himself drinking out of his own TB12 water bottle with a banner that read, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. You know, it, it's a question of now, now what does that mean? You know, it's an FDR quote. I get that. It means you're, you're not fearful of COVID because um, this area is in a full-blown medical crisis and it's not really partisan. I mean, it just is what it is, but, you know, there are protocols in place. These other players that are playing right now in the NHL and Major League Baseball, they're being tested um, daily. You know, these guys over at Berkeley Prep, as far as I know, are going out there um, together and and 
unless they're being tested someplace else. There's there's no team that's doing it at least, and so they're just all kind of gathering. And so you can you again you can appreciate his eagerness for players uh, and himself wanting to show up and get the timing down and all of that. Um, but you know the quote he used was was used to describe the Great Depression. It was from FDR in his first inauguration speech um, right after the Great Depression, 1933. And as Romano writes, there was another famous quote uh, from that same speech, and it was, only a foolish optimist can deny the dark realities of the moment. And there is a little bit of denial right now, I think, by by him. And I don't know. It just depends on where you fall. You know, it's it's kind of kind of up for debate, but at least in my Twitter mentions, it's about 50-50. What if he's saying, I don't fear other teams, I'm on a new team, and we're going to attack you? What if, I mean, that, that's how he I could don't know. spin it. That's how he could spin it later. Yeah, absolutely. Which is a lot well, of what the... social media is, is you put something provocative up, and then you say, eh, well, th- I meant this. Yeah, maybe. I mean, the thing is, is that, and that's just it, it's like no one really knows what he means. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's almost like he's amused by anyone even mentioning that he's out there practicing. I know it's, you know, it was on first take after we wrote the story. It's been, you know, on all the debate shows because I got to debate something. Um, and, and people have fallen almost 50, 50 on one side or the other. Well, you know, that's why not? They got to, you know, there's no off season. They, you know, they're going to play. Um, we can't have OTAs this is what makes them great. There's that camp. And then, but then there is a, a recognition that, especially this week, especially now in this state that maybe it's not the best time when you're being advised by your own union doctors to not do this. And you're not only doing it, you're doing it with a larger group than you've ever had. And you're coming up with these innocuous quotes. And and I think it it does leave it open to Mm -hmm. interpretation. Mm -hmm. He could mean almost anything by it, but under the climate, it seems as if you're almost sort of, almost sort of flaunting the fact that, you don't really care. Like, this is not going to stop you. No excuses. Um, you talk about fear at a time when there's a, a 100-year pandemic. Well, there's a lot of fear. There's a hell of a lot of fear. And it's real. And it's warranted. And that's great if, if you know, he goes through life with no fear. That's certainly served him well um, in his profession and all of that. Um, but But there is, you know, there is another side to this. And... Look, I, we're not going to change Tom Brady. I mean, this is the guy they wanted. You know, this is the attitude they wanted. This is the, um, you know, the tone they wanted set mm-hmm. in that locker room. And that's why he's getting 14 or more players. Mike Evans was out there on Thursday. He's getting so many players to come out at 7 o'clock in the morning on a blistering hot morning. I mean, the, you know, with Sahara dust in, 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 the, in the wind. Uh, and go out there and work as hard as they are. And and he's going to be ready, and his team's going to be ready when, in fact, if they do go to training camp on July 28th, um, I know that you know Bruce Arians was hoping to have him in earlier on July 15th and then the players on the 21st, but it looks like it'll be pushed back. Speaking of pushback, they canceled the Pro Football Hall of Fame game and the induction ceremonies, which are only a week uh, sooner than the regular uh, preseason that every team plays. It's like that extra preseason game. So that one's been been shelved. So it makes you wonder about, you know, what's going to happen to the preseason if just a week later all the teams are supposed to be in action. Well, I wonder if um, some of that isn't so that those teams, one, aren't playing a fifth preseason game. You're trying to limit. And, and we, you know, 
you've said all along you think some of those preseason games may get canceled. Perhaps I do. Too. I, maybe, I think maybe this the whole is thing, a thing, but yeah, I think this is a precursor to that, yeah. and it is a fifth game. It's yep. an extra game, right? So uh, if they do play any, I think it'll be fewer. I think it'll be less mm-hmm. than four, and probably no more than two, right? If they play at all, so it makes sense in that instance yep. to not have a fifth game. And plus, and, and by canceling a lot of it, people yeah. go to Canton for the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, right? Yeah, you're going to get a lot crowds. of national people from all over together. Yeah. The other part is is it's allowing those two teams not to start their training camps earlier. Everybody can start at the same That's time correct. at this point. That is correct. And, yes, and, and no one has to go through. You know, it gives everybody an extra week to know what the protocols are because they're still, they're still negotiating all of that and trying to figure out what the best practices are. And, quite frankly, the advantage that the NFL has isn't as big as it used to be because baseball did not start up earlier than um, what they anticipated. But you're still going to have a glimpse of – of hockey to some extent, um, you know, in how their training camp goes, how baseball's mm-hmm. extended spring training goes, and whether they've started to play games or not, we'll see. Um, but I think the NFL wants as much information as they can get, and so having a fifth preseason game, and like I said, I've been to those induction ceremonies. They're packed. I mean, it's, it's you know, that's on the, the floor of the stadium, and um, they have a large Hall of Fame class this year because it was the 100th anniversary, and it goes on for hours, even though it's outdoors. But uh, I can see where you know the NFL just thought it wasn't a good idea to gather a bunch of people like that so early. It would be it would be the biggest gathering you know um, that they're going to have right off the bat, like right out of the shoot before they have any information uh, about whether fans are going to come or not come. So that part makes sense. But you know, like I said, a week after that, they're supposed to be playing preseason. I think the preseason, my personal opinion is they won't play any preseason games. Now, now, you know, if they do play them, it'll be fewer than four and probably no more than two. But I, I tend to think that you're going to want to minimize players. Even they're going to create this biosphere and you want to minimize them having to get on airplanes, fly to another city, stay at another hotel, all that you have to do in preparation for a game that's frankly meaningless. And it'll be sure it'll be a different training camp because you're mm-hmm. never going to compete against another football team. There's no joint practices either. But, you know, they the first couple of weeks will be different this year because I think they got to figure out where everybody's at physically. You know, not every player has been working with Tom Brady or working the way the Bucks have. Um, and so these guys have to get in some semblance of shape. They have to evaluate that first and foremost before they ask them to go out there and play football for two and a half hours a day. So I, you know, with, with having no OTAs and no mini camps, I think they'll kind of, kind of ease their way into the football side of things. And, you know, for that reason, I don't think they'll be in a hurry to play games, but it's a, it's a worthwhile column. If you get to read it, you know, from John Romano, but that, that's sort of, you know, I, I, I was not surprised that the NFL canceled that game. There was other news and and this one actually happened uh, during an interview that that uh, when it went on, I missed it. It was uh, I guess it would have been Wednesday uh, evening sometime. Shaq Barrett, who you know goes on NFL Network quite often, um, he was on there I guess uh, in the evening on Total Access. And you know a couple months ago, after he was franchised, he said that uh, he'd be willing to play under the franchise tender tag. Of course, he's looking for long term financial security. Uh, the franchise tag is $15.8 million. He made $4 million last year on a one-year deal. It's uh, guaranteed uh, once he signs it. 
but it's just a one-year tender. And naturally, he and, and I think the Bucks would like to see him do more of a longer-term deal, but they haven't reached that yet. There's four players that in the NFL that are franchised that have not signed their tenders, and they only have until July 15th to do so, which is coming up, obviously. And Shaq Barrett, this time in the interview, said that he's about 50-50 uh, with signing his franchise tender. And he mentioned something about Friday being significant, although I've checked with the Bucks, They don't know what he's talking about. But at any rate, you know, I can't, first of all, I can't see a scenario where he wouldn't come to camp or he would hold out. Um, I suppose that's possible. Here's the problem. And it's really as simple as this. They have, they know what their salary cap is for this year. But no one has a clue what's going to be in future years, especially in 2021. So if you're trying to structure a long-term deal, the first thing you need to know is, well, how much money do I have in 2021? How do I structure this? Sure, I can give them 15.8 today or this year, but what about going forward? And I got you know, Chris Godwin, who I need to do a contract with, and maybe Levante David for a few more years, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, and, and when you do that, you have to know what your salary cap number is. Well, those answers won't won't be forthcoming until they know if they're playing with fans because every team makes, you know, $100 million a year in, in ticket sales, and that goes towards the salary cap, and they're almost equal partners in that. So you're looking at if a season were played without fans, you're looking at a potential loss of salary cap room of 50 to 60 to $70 million per team. And so I think for that reason, that's probably the biggest obstacle that Shaq is facing right now with respect to his negotiations. Now, I don't know what talks they've had. Drew Rosenhaus is his agent. Um, but I can't fathom him not coming to camp until he had a long-term deal, particularly since, like I said, they're not even going to know what, what the future, um, future salary caps are going to be. But it was interesting that he said that. And, you know, look, they got to have them. I mean, if you think about their defense – so Shaq Barrett's on a one-year franchise tender, and they can franchise him again. Um, there's no doubt about that. But then you have Indomitian Sue on a one-year contract, Jason Pierre-Paul on a one-year contract. Vita Vea is going to be coming up for a fifth-year option soon. I mean, you know, all these guys, you know, that's the core of your defensive line, and none of them are guaranteed to play in 2021 on a team that has Tom Brady in a short window. So – you know, these these are important decisions and you want to make sure you have money for everybody, including Chris Godwin and so on. So I, I just I think it's rhetoric. Um I was gonna say, is it just be, him trying to put pressure on the Bucks to Yeah, a little bit. I, mean, I, think I assume so. they're talking a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be fifty fifty if you've already decided you're not willing to take their deal and you're not talking anymore. So That's right. That's right. Um is it just posturing and negotiating and could be. Could well be. And and you know, look, even if, even if he signs it you can negotiate anytime during the year. There's nothing to prevent him from signing the tender and then, you know, week two of the season to getting a long-term contract. I mean, the negotiations can continue. Now, some guys want to focus on football when that happens and whatnot. You can certainly go that route. But um, I don't it, – look, it serves – the. to be honest with you, it serves the Bucks really well because – I mean, they've gone around telling everybody he's not a one-hit wonder. Oh, this guy's not a one-hit wonder. And I agree with him. I, what I saw was was something that, you know, this guy has worked at his craft. He spent four years behind, you know, DeMarcus Ware and Bon Miller and those guys in Denver. And he has learned his craft. And when he got his opportunity, 
He went out and he led the entire NFL with 19 and a half sacks. Not only that, he had six forced fumbles, 36 quarterback pressures, that kind of thing. Just a, the best year of any pass rusher in Bucks history. He passed, he, you know, set the record, franchise record, pass Warren Sapp. Been held since 2000. I mean, when you start talking about names like that. Now, can he do it again? It's not likely, right? I mean, he's 27 and, and people have begun in form, but maybe he can. But it certainly doesn't hurt the Bucks to see, you know, after eight weeks, does this guy have, does he have seven sacks? Does he have three? Does he have 10? You know, they don't expect 19 and a half again. But if he's a guy that can get you 10 sacks a year, like automatic, then yeah, you're going you're gonna to sign him to a long-term deal, no problem. So it kind of serves the Bucks to find out. But by the same token, they have a really good excuse, um, you know, to not, not be able to reach a long-term deal. So we'll, we'll see how that works out. One other thing the NFL confirmed is that uh, they voted and and decided to pass a decision to use tarps to separate fans and players from each other uh, in the first six to eight rows of the stadium, all the way around the stadium. Not only that, but as a bonus to these teams, they're going to be able to advertise. They have really refrained from, you know, anything in the camera view down low. Um, you see the Bucks with the bunting that they use, the Buccaneer bunting around their stadium. They haven't advertised. Now, in the Premier League and soccer, which, of course, the Glazers own Manchester United, they do that in all their arenas, right? They have ads going all the way around. But uh, in this case, they're going to use the tarps in all the stadiums for local advertising because they obviously have their national sponsors. Um, and, and really, that's sort of in anticipation that they may not have full stadiums. Um, there's a safety measure to it for sure, although I would argue how close are the fans anyway uh, in terms of six feet? No, they're more like at least you know 15 or 20. But that said, um, not every stadium is the same. But you protect the fans, you protect the players, and uh, if you are only 50% full, right, um, and you know those camera angles are field level, then why not – you know, rather than show a smattering of fans, why not have the tarps with advertising that you can then make up the revenue from the 50% of seats that are unoccupied. So it's a way to defer some of their losses if they can't play with a full stadium while also under the guise of, hey, this is safer for everybody. And it looks better on camera. I mean, if you've seen it in the Premier League and right. some of the others, Absolutely. It, it, better mm-hmm. than empty seats. Absolutely. You know, that banner does look better. And, and look, the, in some of those stadiums, the fans aren't close to the players necessarily, but there mm-hmm. are a lot of workers mm-hmm. for the NFL and security and that stuff that are closer to the fans in those Equipment, first those rows. You know, there's mm-hmm. security on the field. There's, um, you know, the guys doing the water and all that. I mean, you know, some of those mm-hmm. stadiums, they can get pretty close to the fans. And we know with COVID, when you're yelling and screaming, you have a better chance yeah. of transmitting and – that's right. Or, or the particles going further and could potentially do something. So, you know, mm-hmm. the, yeah, there's the safety aspect of that too. Yeah, no, I, I get it, and they're going to do it. So I think I think it's a pretty good acknowledgement that they're going to be restricted to some degree in some cities. And, again, they've decided, you know, it's going to be based on, you know, what the guidelines are for each city, um, much like we're doing now with, you know, what what – the state's not, in, in, you know, mandating that you wear a face mask, but they're leaving it up to the s- separate counties and cities to determine those ordinances. So whatever ordinance you have in Tampa with respect to gatherings, 
of that size, whether they're allowed at all or they're 50% or what have you, that's what each team is going to have to follow. And that's going to be based on, you know, what the incidence of coronavirus and hospitalizations and things like that are, which makes perfect sense. So, um, you know, but, but there is at least, I think, in their minds that in one or, or more cities for sure in the NFL, they're going to have to limit the number of fans that are there. How they do that, I, I'm not sure. And people are already asking me, um, you know, well, I have seats down there. You know, I have seats in, in row A, B, C, D, or E. What's going to happen to me? The answer is I have no clue. I, I would imagine, and, and I have not talked to anybody, and this is speculation a little bit on my part, but it seems to me that if they do have to uh, eliminate some fans, and from what I understand, you know, tickets flew off the shelves, so mm-hmm. the Bucks have a lot of fans and could could easily sell out the building probably every game. But what I think will happen is that, you know, they'll look at, and this should not surprise anybody, their highest-paying customers, the people mm-hmm. in the lower bowl, the people towards the 50-yard line, um, and try to accommodate them first. And, of course, the club, we've said that the Sky Suites don't count towards, let's say it's 50% attendance, doesn't count towards that because you're contained and you're choosing who goes in there. Uh, and then I think the second criteria you would use is how long has this person been a season pass holder? You know, I want to reward my most loyal fans. Mm-hmm. Um, so somewhere in there they'll have to relocate people, obviously. Well, um, and, and the other question is is how close can people be? I mean, you know, so right. you've eliminated the first, let's say, eight rows. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean starting row nine that it's full. That's we, correct. We don't know yet. And, we don't know. And there may be some season ticket holders that say, look, I'm in a, I'm a I don't know, compromised. I'm that's right. whatever. And so that's right. I, mm-hmm. I'm willing, if you're going to be at 50%, I'm willing to not take my tickets next year, but save my spot for the, the following season. Right. Because you need and, to eliminate some fans anyway. So there's some of that probably going on too. I mean, and they the, probably have be, a priority list or that they go down and mm-hmm. can ask that question. It's a, it's a perfect explanation. And in fact, the Patriots have sort of, uh, made it known to their fans, and I think it's a template for the whole league, to be honest with you, that if you're compromised um, from a health standpoint and you say, look, I, I can't go this year as long as this virus is, there's, you know, there's no vaccine, I, I feel compromised, they will refund your money and or, and or um, you know, hold your seat for 2021. Mm-hmm. So that's how a lot of those people may be relocated, you know, and we'll just have to see how that all works out, but um, it's unfortunate for the Bucks because I'm convinced they could have sold every last seat and standing room only if they wanted to with Tom Brady there. Um, but they'll, they, you know, I also don't think it's a problem. Like, just tell me how they're going to do it. Are they going to do it six row, six across, or is it every row, every other row going up? Well, you know, that's like, the hard problem. The problem is they don't know yet. Exactly. Although I'm, I'm told that it won't be a like. It's not once you know the formula, you can figure out the rest. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, but when but will they know the formula? And that, yeah. as things are changing in states, and some states yeah. are seem to be getting better, others are you know not, not necessarily worse. second wave, but you know as they're opening yeah. up, experiencing more more uh, diagnosis. Right. Yeah, it's all it's all going to be different uh, team to team, I think. But anyway, that was the discussion. There are some other things about uh, you know social. Injustice, concentrating on on getting people registered to vote, that sort of thing. Um, but it was an interesting conference call, anyway. And, and like I said, the NFL 
has a long way to go with their protocols and figuring out how they're going to make this safe. I think they have the most difficult sport to protect players. I really do because both the size and the proximity of themselves to each other. And I'm not, I'm not sure how they're going to pull this off, but baseball will tell us a lot. Hockey will tell us a lot, soccer, et cetera. And we're just glad that, uh, you know, that we're going to have all that to talk about and write about soon. Speaking of fans in the stands, the Rays and the Rowdies looking at ways to get limited number of fans in the games after Mayor Rick Kreisman said that's possible. All right, that's great. I mean, I think that's great news. And, you know, the old joke, right, I got to get these, all, all these old people emailed is, well, you know, just you know, the regular crowd with the Rays, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, they do because, I, you know, the Rays won 97 games and they were as hot and as fun as any team in baseball when the season ended a year ago. Now they'll have to recapture some of that excitement after – the long period off, but um, Buster Olney picked them to win the world series. Did he really? Yeah. Look, you can look at it. I mean, we talked about this on this podcast. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? They only have 60 games. If you look at it um, in terms of their lineup, you know, as Mark Tompkins has said, one through 10, they probably don't match up with a lot of teams, but their depth is terrific. Mm -hmm. And they're a team that, you know, the arms aren't going to be stretched out initially. We know that they have a lot of guys that can pitch different situations, including openers, and and then maybe you can let certain pitchers I, I think this is true on all teams that knowing you're only playing sixty games, once these guys do get stretched out, you don't have to give them five days off. You don't have to worry about them going into the seventh inning um because they've got to make thirty starts this year. Mm-hmm. Uh so there's a lot of different things that you can take advantage of. And look, I mean, Charlie Morton, Blake Snell and, and Tyler Glass now feel pretty good about those three guys. Right. And you had Ryan Yarbrough and Yanni Trinos and Yeah. I mean I, I think good. I think the, the Rays bullpen gives them a huge advantage in a short season. Mm-hmm. They have a they have you saw it in the second half last season. Their bullpen is among the best in baseball. Maybe they don't right. have your traditional closer per se, and we'll see, mm-hmm. you know, could Alvarado regain that or Castillo or you know, who they may go with. But their bullpen, they, the way they match things up, their lights out. They don't have as deep right. of a lineup one through nine, one through ten, but you're playing a short season in a short number of days. You're not going to have many off days this year. No, and yeah. their depth mm-hmm. and their versatility gives them a huge advantage, particularly when injuries happen to teams. Um, right. I, you know, look at the end of the day. Two years ago, the Rays won ninety games and missed the playoffs, and a lot of it's because they had a horrible start to the season. Right. Last year, they had a great start to the season. In a 60-game stretch, those first 10, 15 games are important. Huge. You don't yeah. have to be 13-2, and two, but no. you better not be 4-11. and 11. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. And, and they'll take 14-3 and three like they were a year ago. The problem is, and again, they didn't have the same team going backwards as they have now, and that's important to remember. The team they have now had a great start last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you go back and look at four of the five previous years, yes. they were under five hundred once they got to 60 games. Now, they didn't always stay that way, but they they did not you know they did not have a great record after sixty games. But again, this is this is the team they played with last year that they're going to play again with this year and with some improvements and some health improvements for sure. And you're right; it'll depend on who gets hurt and how much depth people have, and so on and so forth. But it is a sprint; it's not a marathon this time. And um, that's interesting that Buster Buster uh, picked them to win the World yeah, he, Series. He talked right? about the Dodgers and the Yankees, and and they're talented, mm-hmm. and you know, probably the best team on paper. But the Rays, mm-hmm. with the, what they did last year, with the way spring training was going, with the depth and versatility, he picked yeah. them. 
And I, I've also read, and Kevin Cash would be a big part of this. I also read where people believe that the teams that are the most cohesive mm-hmm. in, the, in the clubhouse, the ones that care about each other the most, the ones that um, gel the best, you know, and we, we already know these guys accept their roles are pretty selfless mm-hmm. uh, because of what the Rays ask them all to do. Um, but there was a lot of genuine affection for each other in that clubhouse a year ago, and they were mm-hmm. having fun. And they have a nice mix of veterans and especially a lot of young, energetic rising players like Adamas and others and Meadows and all those guys. So, I mean, I think, I think there's something to that. I think the best teams win, not necessarily the best talent, but the best teams. And mm-hmm. I think the Rays have a leg up on that. The, the interesting part with the Rays on that, and, and I agree completely last year, and I think that's a big part of the reason that they were so successful last year is not only did they have the pieces and the parts, but they, they believed in each other. They worked together as a team. It was, it was mm-hmm. truly a team effort. Uh, yeah. The question is, and, and they turn over a lot of their roster every season. You know, they yeah. traded Tommy Pham and they bring in Hunter Renfro, and you know, there right. is a lot of new pieces too. Suits who go, and you know, things like that. Yeah. Where it, how those guys fit in and stuff. But the Rays have always been pretty good. It seems like they pick guys that fit into their culture really well. I mean, yeah, whether it's agree, trades yeah. or whatever else, it always seems like you know they hit more often than they don't when they bring guys in. Not just on the talent, but on how they fit in with the team and the roster. And I mean, they got you know guys representing I think nine different nations, mm-hmm. you know, nine different countries. So there's there's a multicultural aspect to it that is kind of neat. And despite the language barriers and things like that, um, they all seem to mesh well that way too. So it'll be exciting. It'll it, every game every game's going to matter if they start mm-hmm. playing. Um, so you know you're going to be watching. Uh, teams going after it, you know, like like it is uh, life or death and trying to get in the playoffs because 60 games is just not a lot of games. And so I, I think that will add an element of fun to it as well. So, hey, keep your fingers crossed. We, we hope that they get through this spring training 2.0 and mm-hmm. still can start the season. And if fans are there, that will be awesome, you yeah. know, just uh, whoever can go. And speaking of workouts, the Lightning back at Amelie Arena, uh, voluntary mm-hmm. workouts still going on along the NHL. Uh, so they're at Amelie Arena skating again. I'm not sure how many. The NHL now allowing up to 12 players on the ice at once instead of six. Right. Uh, so but, And they're they're narrowing down the list of cities that uh, these these games could be played at, right? Yeah, they're down to six now, um, and only okay. one in the eastern time zone, Toronto. Right. Uh, everything else is Chicago's in the west, although there. it sounds like Vancouver potentially is, is not out, but they're, they were among the favorites, and now they're not but I don't think they've been mm. eliminated yet. I think they're trying to hear some more from Toronto and Edmonton. You really get the feeling that they won at least one of the hub cities in Canada. Yeah. Um, I think if for no other reason that the Canadian dollar is 70 cents, 77 cents on the dollar right now or something like that. So it would be okay. a lot cheaper to do things in Canada than in the United States. So I think there's mm-hmm. a financial aspect to that. So, But well, yep. it, it, sounds, it sounds like it, it maybe everybody's on the West Coast unless Toronto gets – gets one so which yeah. doesn't really impact anything other than start times i mean here's the thing that in the early rounds of the playoffs and, and for the lightning the the round robin those round robin games are probably going to be early in the afternoon you're going to have mm. you're going to have you know tuesday afternoon hockey at noon or one o'clock or if both, good bo- with that. both cities are on the west coast it may be you know two or three o'clock before you get started but not every game is going to be seven o'clock at night yeah in the early rounds oh. because they got to play three games a day in, in each of the hubs so yeah. You know, each game you got to bank on you know three hours to play. They're usually shorter, but you also have to factor in overtimes and things like that. And, and hockey overtime in the playoffs goes on until someone wins. So 
Uh, then you got to, you know, change the ice and, you know, do all that stuff. So, you know, you're, you're starting games at, you know, the latest probably noon local time. So, you know, listen, as a new, as an old newspaper guy, um, that sounds great to me because those deadlines come pretty quick. So, you know, more day games. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's it. for that. But for those at home or you know, at work, um, yeah, you know, it'd be tough. That want to watch or listen, it's you know, you may have to make some accommodation. Although with everyone watching from home, so uh, or working True. from home, we're all working things, from home. Yeah, so we I mean, just turn on the yeah. TV. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that might do it. So anyway, we got some uh, some mailbag questions uh, today, so we'll be happy to answer those uh, as we get going here. We do, and we had a couple uh, asking about this, Kyle and Michael specifically. But with the cancellation of the Hall of Fame game, are you losing confidence that there will be an NFL season this year? Um, my confidence level is kind of stuck right now. Somebody asked us this question on Twitter a little way. Uh, asked Tom, I think, Jones, and he was about a one or a two. Yeah, Debbie Downer? Uh, yeah, surprising, I know, right, that Tom Jones would be less than optimistic. Um, but I, I'm, I'm kind of like just hovering at five. I, I really don't know what to make of it, Steve. I mean, on the one hand, you know, if these other sports are successful in coming back, and look, what's more socially distanced than, say, the PGA Tour, right? Mm-hmm. And yet they're carrying on and, and had a recent outbreak of, of COVID with caddies, with, with golfers. In fact, uh, the guy, you know, that won last week isn't playing this week. I heard his caddy on Dan Patrick and – um, you know, so they're still trying to figure it out. So I, I don't know. I, I go back and forth and I keep thinking about, you know, the, the sport of football and how contact is on every play. Um, and you know, the size of these guys and the fact that 70% or so are African American, it, it's hard for me to, to, to think that someone's not going to get sick and perhaps even, even very sick. Um, but I, you know, every day that something comes back, if we see baseball and it, and it works, if we see um, hockey and that works, then I would be very confident. I think they'll start the season. What I'm curious about is will they finish it? And I'm not sure they're going to start in September. I think, I think I could see a later start, to be honest with you. I don't know why that would be except other than to make sure that, that the number of cases are down and that maybe they could use more fans because they have those levers they can pull. They can they can move it to a 14-game season mm-hmm. easily mm-hmm. and start in October um, and you know move the Super Bowl back into mid to late February. And, and I, just, I just tend to think that's the way it's going to go. Um, but whether they finish will really be determined on what is the impact of football uh, in in with and the virus can can they are these guys going to stay safe how bad how bad could it get for certain players i mean like i like i said before if we start having moments of silence for players uh <laughs> i i don't know how much appetite anybody's going to have for that and all i know is you know you have 16 1700 players more than that if you include practice squad coaches staff referees um it's inevitable somebody could get sick and very sick, so we'll see. Um, but I'm I'm about a five. I'm not gonna. I'm not one way or the other. I'm just kind of right in the middle, wait and see kind of guy. All right, Craig asked, "What do you think the long term plans are for Mike Evans and Chris Godwin? Can the Bucks really afford to pay two wide receivers big money?" You know, I've asked this question of the Bucks, and the, they don't even hesitate. They say yes, and sometimes they say hell yes. Now. I think you would be naive 
not to notice the difference in ages between those players, right? Um, you know, Mike Evans is going into his, what, he's had six straight seasons mm-hmm. of 1,000 yards to start his career. He's going for number seven. You know, uh, he's, he's got, if he gets seven in a row, that's, that's an NFL record that passes Randy Moss, which is his idol. So now, now you're looking at numbers that, you know, one day could get you in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, do, do you let a receiver like that walk out of your building when he means that much to you? Um, can you pay them both? They they insist you can. Now, you know, Mike is around $16 million now. You figure Godwin will come in maybe even north of that um, because of just, you know, the increase of salaries and whatnot. But it, it really depends on, you know, the salary cap because, remember, this year notwithstanding, it will have an impact, and it's going to have an impact in the year where they need to sign Chris Godwin to an extension and or franchise him. Um, but – there's going to be more money in the game. You know, the, the NFL is constantly raising its revenues every year. And so every year the salary cap goes up 10 million on average, about 10 million a year. So if it keeps going up, I could see a situation where, yeah. And, and don't forget this too, at least in the short term, Tom Brady's here. We know for at least two years. Well, you want all those receivers here as long as Tom Brady's here and maybe even beyond that, maybe he plays three. So to answer your question, I think eventually if they have to choose, you know, what's the production of these two guys, what's their injury status, one is certainly older than the other. Um, You know, is there a fall off one way or the other? But, you know, Godwin's the younger guy. And if they think Godwin is a number one receiver and he's younger, then you could see where they might sort of skew that way. But initially anyway, I think, I think they'll try to keep them both on as long as they can because they really play well off each other. So I wouldn't get too caught up in the money. I think the answer is yes. They can find ways uh, to afford both players. It's a lot to invest in that position, but if that position is so productive as it has been, you know that's such a big part of your offense that you don't want to lose that. All right, Alex asks, how does the Bucks' offensive line stack up? What are their strengths and weaknesses? Well, I've always been one to believe that it's not as bad as everybody seems to think it is. And what I would just say is that they're going to look a lot better this year because the quarterback's going to get the ball out of his hands. And you'd be amazed how good your offensive line looks when that ball is getting out of there after a quick three-step, five-step drop, boom. And not only just getting out of there, but also you know accurate on time um, to the right, right receiver with few interceptions, you know, remember it's hard to pass block for 65 passing plays a game. I mean, the best left tackle in the league, you know, if he has to set, you know, if he has to pass block 55 times and he gets beat once, then he's the horse's ass, right? For the rest of the day. It's like, Oh man, you got, you know, you got Jameis killed. So I'm talking about Donovan Smith. Like everybody's like, Oh, Donovan Smith, he's not very good. All I know is he plays every down almost for his whole career, and he goes against the best athlete on the field. Now, you're not going to win every battle, and I would like to see him, you know, finish a little better and stay with his guy. But that that's when Jameis was playing, right? Like Jameis, Jameis would extend plays, and, you know, a lot of those sacks came because he held on to the ball 
way too long, thought he could make a play. Um, I think it's going to look entirely different with Brady. I think you're going to find out that this offensive line is not too bad. And when you can, you know, when you're not behind, when you're not down 14 to nothing or 10 to nothing because your quarterback has seven pick sixes in the, in the first, you know, first series and, and four pick sixes on his first throw and all this. Um, when you can run the ball and stay balanced because you're in the game, that makes your offensive line better too. Now, they got a rookie right tackle, you know, that that's not an easy easy thing. Um, they, I, I mean, I like. I think Ryan Jensen had his best year, certainly since he's been here. And I think Marpet is is a Pro Bowl talent. You know, Alex Kappa is a guy that uh, you know has a little bit of experience now. He played hurt, played with a broken arm, not necessarily going to the Pro Bowl, but he's serviceable. So I, I think they're at at worst a middle-of-the-pack offensive line, and maybe even a little bit better than that with a quarterback. So, you know, I mean, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Nobody, and this is the thing people don't realize, very few teams have five Pro Bowl offensive linemen. And if they do, you know, very few of them stay together and, and don't get hurt during the year. And, you know, knock on wood if you're a Bucks fans, if you're a Bucks fan, but these guys have been fairly durable. I mean, Marpet. Donovan Smith, even Jensen, um, we mentioned Kappa, you know, so they, they've been pretty, you, you keep those guys together, you got something going. So I think they're better than everybody else thinks they are. And I think this year they'll show it. All right. Kieran asked 60 game season, no minor leagues. Is it Wander Franco time by the Bay? I'd love to get your opinion on this, Steve. I, I the reports are that that Franco is just wearing out wherever he's taking batting practice these days, and he's a mm-hmm. he's a strong, compact kid that, you know, probably the number one prospect in baseball. I think the plan would have been, you know, to wait and keep him down as long as they can. I don't know where the control part of that stands right now with arbitration and all of that. I mean, I don't know what the rules are going to be different, the same, or what. But I always thought that he would be in the big leagues at least by August. Mm-hmm. And now they're not going to start until August. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, I, I mean, he's going to be, to me, you know, you don't have a minor leagues, right? So mm-hmm. you got that 20-man reserve or whatever. I don't see any reason not to have him on the roster. I don't know if it's if it's the 25-man, the four. I don't know how they're going to structure that. But he's going to be one of those guys that's available to me at some point during this year. Look, Wander's a talent where when he's ready, you bring him up. It, it does, the the control part of it doesn't matter. It's you know he's that he's that good. He's that good. Yeah. When he's ready, you bring him up. Yeah. Now yeah. you want to make sure he's ready for that. I don't right. think he makes the opening day. But, but is he, he going to be on the minor res- leagues? Is he going to be on that reserve squad working out practicing, and then you can get called up? I mean, they have. It's not like you just have your twenty five man roster and everyone's at home. Yeah, you're working out. So they've got the other guys, you know, whether doing scrimmages or, you know, there's I'm not sure exactly how they're going to do that part, but is But he what else would he do? Because what I, else would he do? Well, I mean, if he I, wasn't on there. Well, but I, here's the thing is you don't want to put him up in a in a short season sprint and fail. If if he's and I don't know I, I can't tell you if he's ready or not. Mm. I agree with you. I think he was going to be up by mid-season or at least get a cup least of coffee early. Like, kind of like Willie Domus did a couple years ago. He came up for a little bit. Yeah, go back had down. Some quick run. success, struggled, went back down, figured some yeah. things out, and came back. You know, I, I don't know if 
that would happen with Wander, but I think he was going to get a cup of coffee at some point with injuries during, you know, midseason he would be up. Depending on how he did there would determine the long-term play for him. Mm-hmm. Whether he goes back down for a little bit, comes back. But I agree. By next season, you expected him to be full-time on the roster, that he would get yeah. some taste this year. Will that happen now with this? Hard to tell, and some of it will depend on injuries and everything else too, and just how ready he is. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's a tough spot for the Rays with him because you don't have as much room for error to bring a young guy up like that if you're not sure he's ready. Now, if you're sure he's ready, go ahead. I mean, you know, he's he's talented he enough where if you think he's ready, roll the dice and go. Here's the thing, though. He can't play every day. There's nowhere to play. There's no Triple A mm-hmm. this year. There's no minor league. So. I mean, I guess he could go play, you know, in, in some other league maybe that, that might exist. I don't really know what that would be. But um, to me, he's going to be with you even if it's in yes. that, you know, that, that taxi squad type capacity where he's mm-hmm. with you every day. I'm going to bet you, and, and, and injuries will play a big part of this too. Obviously, if everybody's healthy and they don't need him, they're not going to rush him to the big leagues. But I would bet you this, that from what I hear, from what everybody says mm-hmm. – <laughs> Um, who's to say he's not the, the, the shortstop version of Ken Griffey Jr. who did it at 19? Mm-hmm. I mean, really, who's, I mean, this is the way they talk about this guy. Yes. Um, and if he's that talented and he can help you in a 60 game season, of course you're going to use him. Yes. You know, and, and like the whole, we don't want to hurt his confidence. Well, okay. So he's, so he's out of the lineup or he's back on the taxi squad or whatever. But you're going to find places this year where he can help you. And it's up to Kevin Cash and those guys to do that. But in, with the absence of any minor league, like it would be different if he, you knew, hey, we want this guy to play every day. And we want him to play every day in Durham or Double A or wherever, Montgomery. But he's playing. We need him to mm-hmm. play every single day mm-hmm. and, and take the steps you need to take to get here so that when he gets here, he stays here. I get all that. But that opportunity doesn't exist for him. Yep. And so he's going to have to get better at the big league level, whether it's, you know, on the 25-man, whatever they have. And so I'm going to guess that we're going to see him. And, you know, if he's all that and he seems to be, he's going to be hard not to have on your ball club. I just think that he's going to force his will. Yeah, I mean, That's I, my I prediction. you know, like I said, the Rays, one of the things the Rays do very well with their young talent is they're, they're really good at evaluating them, first of all, and knowing what their strengths and weaknesses are, and they put them in positions to succeed. doesn't mean they're always successful, but they don't, they don't, let, they don't promote you to the next rung, ring of you know, AA, AAA, et cetera, until you're ready for it. You know, now, it doesn't mean you're always successful, but they never put you in a position where you're, you're, you look lost. That doesn't happen with the Rays. They're very good about that, and they're slow with it. And some of that may be financial and, and team control and things. But the other part is, is look, we have an investment in you. We want to make sure you're successful. You know, in business is the same way. Good managers don't put people in positions to fail. You want to you want to put people in positions that you know they can succeed. And it doesn't mean they don't make mistakes and, and aren't learning along the way. But that you don't want them feeling like they're you know underwater and can't and can't survive whatever the situation is. So the Rays do that very well. So, but without the minor league season this year, it's going to be interesting how they handle Wander or handle Wander. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to it. It's a good problem to have, that's for sure. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, we got a couple questions like this. Brett and Les, and I'll sum it up this way, but they said, this is Tampa Bay's best chance at, to win the Triple Crown. Championships in hockey, baseball, and football in the same year. Are you going to tell me it's going to get canceled this year? Which one? <laughs> All three? Well. Or just one? Um, it might be hard to envision just one. If one cancels, you you almost start to think that a lot more could. But Yeah, except that I think, you know, with hockey, they've played a season, and, mm-hmm. and even though it's going to take a couple months, there, there's probably a better chance that they play a tournament, right, mm-hmm. versus, versus six months of, of well, baseball. And they're going to be or, in a bubble. You know, once yeah. they get to the hub city, yeah, yeah, and 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 without fans, I mean, I think, I think they have a better chance uh, for that reason, for all the reasons we just mentioned. Um, look, we can't have nice things. I, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. I'm 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 not a fan, but I feel for the fans, and 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 personally, you know, I want to cover the Bucks with Tom Brady. I'm not going to lie to you. I want to know what that's going to look like. You know. Uh, it's been a while since Raymond James was full. It may never be full this year, um, but I, I do hope that that fans get to go and see them play. Um, how ma- however many that that turns out to be, uh, and look, the Rays. Again, we may not get a great gauge about how good this ball club is in sixty games, but I know how good they were last year, and I know you know there's going to be adjustments to some of the players they've added and they don't have Tommy Pham that some of this and, and maybe 60 games isn't enough uh, to, to make all the, but they're a really good baseball team and Buster Olney and others will pick them to win the world series who I might argue with them. So if, if there's a season or seasons or post seasons that they're working on, I think all throw three of those teams, I think all of them are contenders. I mean, obviously the lightning have the talent to win a Stanley cup whenever they play it. And I and I think the Rays have the kind of team in the depth um, to compete with anyone in the American League East. Not that it's easy. Uh, you add the National League East, that's going to be even tougher still. But those other teams in the AL East have to play them as well. So, you know, and, and as far as the Bucks goes, look, they're not going to be the favorite in the NFC South. That'll be great. That'll be um, the Saints. But Tom Brady's supposed to get you in the postseason and win. Um, not just get you there, but actually win. And so when you have Tom Brady, you should be a Super Bowl contender, and especially when you have him with the weapons he has. So I wouldn't write off any of them just now. It's just a question of, you know, yeah, are we really are we really going to not watch any of them play? I hope not. I mean, I hope we get to see them all. But even if you get to see them all, um, it's under trying circumstances. And really it's just a matter of who handles those the best, you know. Who gets the breaks? Who's prepared? Uh, we talked about the Rays being a close-knit team. Um, I think, you know, even in the case of Brady, right, where he's making this, you know, really difficult move after 20 seasons in, in New England with Bill Belichick, and he's doing it in a year where he's not even really been with his teammates outside of his own workouts, 
But you know what? Um, the guys played 20 years of football at the highest level, the highest level, nine Super Bowls, six wins, six, six championships. And there comes a point where, you know, a wide receiver is a wide receiver and a tight end is a tight end. And, and you know, third and 12 is third and 12 and cover two is cover two. And if it rolls to cover three or, you know, they're playing quarters. I mean, he's got the answers to all the tests. You know, he it, it does it's just a question of, you know, can he execute with these guys? How long will it take him to get on the same page? And I'm going to guess he'll do it faster than a lot of quarterbacks simply because he's done everything you can do in this league. He's seen everything. And I don't – even though it's going to be difficult, in, in it, with all these obstacles, I think the Bradys and the Breezes, and I'll give you Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, I think those Russell Wilson, I think – Aaron Rodgers, those guys that have played a lot of football at the highest level and won, I think they're the ones that are going to rise again. You know, Ben Roethlisberger comes back and plays a full season. Pittsburgh's going to be really hard to beat. And so that's I think the cream will rise to the occasion no matter what the obstacles are, more so now than ever before. So I, I give the Bucks a really good shot. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be as pessimistic as I am some nights, but um, if they all play – They'll all gonna, they're all going to contend. Let's put it that way. Will they, will they sweep? I doubt it. Um, let's see if, if they can all get deep in the playoffs but, or even get to the playoffs in the case of the Rays. All right. Buck North had a question for both of us, actually. Mm-hmm. He says, Rick, what is the biggest story you broke in your career or the one you're most proud of? And he asked me to compare the fan bases of the Bucks and the Bengals, saying they seem like they've suffered more than most teams. All right. Um, you go first because I'm. I know what mine is. It's an easy one, but uh, the the you know the Bengals a lot better than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I got Sam White after he had gone to a Super Bowl there, and those were probably one of their best years. Or, you mm-hmm. know, obviously they had Ken Anderson before that. Um, the Browns. I mean, the Browns had their run there, you know, with Bernie Kosar and mm-hmm. what before that Brian Sipe, but. I mean, the Browns have been in an awful situation for a long time. Well, he wanted me to care the, the Bucks and the Bengals. Oh, the Bucks and the Bengals, yeah, not yeah, the Browns. Sorry, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, I okay. Mean, here, here's. Tell me what your analysis of those two franchises are. I think there's a lot of similarities in the fact that mm-hmm. they're run by. They had a, a patriarch, Paul Brown or Malcolm Glazer. Yep. That built a tremendous franchise. Yeah. The Bengals got to two Super Bowls. They lost them both to the 49ers, but both great games. The Bucks right. got to a Super Bowl and won it, dominated yep. it. Mm-hmm. Their kids have now running the team, and they haven't been as successful. That's true. And whether it's the kids just aren't good enough, or just some bad luck, or you know, you can. There's lots of reasons why, but both it just hasn't happened for them like both, it did for their dads. Both franchises, both fan bases are longing for the days of when their dads were running the franchise. Because mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. it was a better time for those teams. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, possibly the Bucks this year change. Uh, now the Bengals have had some good years since Mike Brown's been running. I mean, with Andy Dalton, they went to five straight playoffs. They lost all five, but they made five straight playoffs as Andy Dalton and AJ Green started their careers. That's right. Um, you know, they've they've had some success. I think the franchises are different in ways that Tampa Bay has traditionally hasn't had good quarterback. I mean, Jameis has thrown for a lot of yards the last few years, but the interceptions we know about. Um, mm-hmm. When they won the Super Bowl, they had a game manager. And, and mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of been what they've had. The Bengals have had tremendous quarterbacks. And 
They have. It's kind of a it's kind of a joke in Cincinnati where the national narrative going into this draft was Joe Burrow should not play in Cincinnati. They ruined quarterbacks there. <laughs> Greg Cook, who if he wasn't injured, would have been one of the it's greatest quarterbacks ever yeah. in the NFL. What a shame. Ken Anderson, mm-hmm. Boomer Esiason. Yeah. I mean, I saw so ESPN did a, a a thing last week, I think it was, and it rated every franchise's quarterbacks over history, you know, just like the total quarterback play of your franchise in the Super Bowl era, I believe it was. The Bengals were eighth. Yeah, Carson I mean, Palmer. Yeah, Carson Palmer. I mean, you know, yeah, that was a dormant franchise when they drafted him, and, and he took him to the playoffs and had had he and Chris Henry not both got hurt on the second play of the game against Pittsburgh when they were the right. one seed and Pittsburgh was a six seed, they would have most likely would have been won, won that game, and that Pittsburgh and wins the Super Bowl that year, but – they got hurt in the mm-hmm. second play, and they, you know, they had a good shot at winning that, getting to the Super Bowl that year. Um, right. You know, so in that case, the Bengals haven't had as great a defense as it's been their offense that has fueled that team for years. They've had some great running backs and uh, and Corey Dillon and and things like that. Icky Woods. Icky yeah. Woods. Yeah. I mean, it's so it, it's it's been run differently in that way where the offense. I mean, you you know, remember that you know Bill Walsh was an assistant there back. In yeah, the he early, was. You know. Um, In fact, um, the shock was mm-hmm. when he went to San Francisco was that Paul Brown didn't pick him to be the coach. Nope. Um, and that stunned Bill Walsh, and that's the only way he got to the 49ers. Yep. So I, th- I think the fan bases are different that way, but there, there's a lot of similarities in, in, in you know growing up watching the Bengals and being here in Tampa Bay for 10 years now. There's Market a, there's size, a lot of, too, right? I mean, is Cincinnati mm-hmm. a bigger city than Tampa, or is it about the same? No, no, it's smaller than Tampa. Smaller, um, okay. You know, and, and, and the franchises aren't that much. I think the Bengals came in in, what, 68? So it's only, you know, eight years older. And yeah. Cincinnati's an older town. And, right. You know, it, and it's, it's you know, more – the people from Cincinnati are from Cincinnati. That's right. It's not transient like Tampa. So Nobody's in that, in that from case, here. The, yeah. the, you know, Atlanta's similar, and there's, you know, other cities in the south are, are that way, which is why their teams aren't as old either. There weren't the people there. Right. But, but there are some similarities, but there's also some differences in the history of, you know, the type of football that's been played and how they win and and, and that. So when the, you know, the Bengals have a good offense, they do very well. And they shared a coach in Sam Weich, and, and the Bucks tried to hire or, or the leading candidate after Tony Dungy was Marvin Lewis for the longest mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. until the Glazers thought he reminded them too much of Dungy. And then Marvin Lewis goes and what coaches ten or twelve years with the yep. Bengals. The other difference is is Mike Brown is the GM of the team, right? You the know owner. he's directly yeah. involved in the player personnel. Now I think he gave Marvin Lewis probably more control than any coach he ever had previously, from right. Dick LeBeau and Bruce Coslett and and David Shula mm-hmm. and others. Uh, you know where the Glazers are. You know they pick a GM. They have, right. you know, whether it's Mark Dominic or Jason Light or, you know, they're mm-hmm. not running the day-to-day operations as far as the, the football side of picking, you know, who, free agents and scouting and all this stuff. Where So, that, I mean, that's no, no. a big difference, too, where Mike Brown gets a lot of that criticism in Cincinnati because they haven't been as successful. Although, like I said, they've, they've had a lot of playoff. I mean, they went to five straight playoffs to start this decade. Right. That's, that's more, five playoffs is more than a lot of teams in the NFL in the last decade. Yeah, well, we know the Bucks have gone 12 years without one. Uh, biggest story I've worked on, uh, most proud of, I don't know if proud is a word necessarily, but boy, it was an interesting time, and that was um, the firing of Tony Dungy and actually the subsequent uh, attempted hiring of Bill Parcells. Um, you know, Tony had 
gone to the playoffs. Uh, it was his fourth time in six years. It completely turned around a franchise that had lost 10 games or more for like 12 seasons in a row and was beloved and built a defense that obviously uh, was good enough to win a Super Bowl. Offense was lagging behind, and, and that was often the problem with Tony's teams. Um, but nonetheless, uh, you know, his final year here, uh, they didn't talk to him about a contract extension. And earlier in the year, I talked to his agent, Ray Anderson. He was perplexed as well uh, why that hadn't happened. But frankly, Malcolm Glazer wanted to see what they would do because every year it seemed like their season went to Philadelphia and died. And sure enough, they were headed back to Philadelphia as a wild card team. And with about two weeks to go in the season, uh, actually prior to that, but I nailed it down a couple weeks to go in the season, I learned that uh, the Glazers were having talks and had had been having talks with Bill Parcells, who at that time was at ESPN to, to coach their football team. And I mean, they were down the road with this deal. I mean, they had a number of years. They had uh, it was going to be five years. How much money he was going to make, which at that time I think it was around five million a year, which was a lot of money back then. Um, coaches didn't make what Gruden makes now. And uh, Monty Kiffin was going to be the defensive coordinator. They're going to keep most of their defensive staff. They're going to bring in Terry Bradway as a GM. I mean, they had every little thing. And I had all the details. I had all of it. Lock, stock, barrel. In fact, um, the week of the, I believe it was the week of the playoff game, um, I was writing the story and it hadn't published yet. And I I actually told Tony Dungy, uh, he was one of the last guys I talked to. I said, are you aware? (laughs) You want to hear this. Are you aware that uh, your ownership is, you know, prepared to fire you, um, anything short of a Super Bowl, I would imagine, but prepared to fire you because they they basically have a, a deal negotiated with Bill Parcells to coach this team. And he didn't believe me. I mean, Tony's one of those guys, he's a little, you know, he's a lot of faith in the people he works for, um, and he's got some tunnel vision, and he was preparing his team to play in Philadelphia. And he was like, I, I haven't heard that, and I wouldn't believe it. I just can't believe that. I was like, well, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. You know, I just I want to comment, and pretty much that was his comment. And so it got to a, a Friday before the playoff game, and my newspaper, which usually is a on-the-record paper all the time, but I had so many good tied-down sources on this story, and they told me, we need one more. So I was like, okay, <laughs> who? It's like, well, you, you know, you have to get confirmation again um, from – Parcells agent Jimmy Sexton and so I knew Jimmy through other dealings and and I thought well there's no way you know first of all he'll talk to me at all but but certainly not on the record and he didn't talk to me on the record but when I called him and I told him what I was writing um he said you know Rick you got it all you got everything he goes but Rick he goes if you write this he goes, what if they win? And I go, Jimmy, there's no way they're going to win. Because Philadelphia was loaded. The Bucks' offense was horrible. Their defense was good. And I said, you know, he'd have to win a Super Bowl. He goes, yeah, but what, you know, you're going to drop a bomb on us. So I wrote it on a Friday. They went up on Saturday. And when I got to the team hotel, and this is back in the day where, you know, your story's on, on the Internet first, right? They're in the paper. They're in that hard-cover newspaper that you get in the morning. And I'm the only guy in the nation that has this story. ESPN doesn't have it. Mort doesn't have it. Nobody. And so, you know, I'm kind of out there flapping in the wind by myself on this one. But I know it's right. Like, you know, I just do because I have so many good sources on it. And yet the radio is killing me, just killing me. 
about this guy. He didn't know what he's talking about. There was there was a player sh- that came on in the morning. He was ripping me. And um, they were all getting on a plane to go to Philly that day. So by the time I got to Philly and walked in the hotel, um, I was like, people were looking at me like I was from another another planet. Um, and But then the next morning uh, before the game, Susie Culver was holding up the newspaper saying the Tampa Bay or St. Petersburg Times at that time is reporting that Tony Dungy will be fired and that Bill Parcells is going to take over this football team. They have a deal with him, blah, blah, blah. And, and um, you know, other people are saying, I don't, I don't know anything about it. I got a call from Mortensen that morning. And he goes, Rick, hell of a job. It's a, you're 100% right. Um, I can't write it. You know, I sit next to the guy. I mean, you know, he's been telling me things. He's not ready to go on the record with it, whatever. Um, but I felt better about that. And then, of course, we know what happened. They lost the game. Um, but Parcells pulled out, and it became very public. And he was going through a divorce. He got pushed back because it looked like he was taking, trying to push Dungy out before he had the job. And if you go to Quiet Strength, the book that Tony Dungy wrote, I used to know the page by heart. I think it's like around 146. I'm not sure. But Tony writes about it. He says, you know, he got on the airplane with Lauren Dungy, his wife, and they noticed on the charter to Philadelphia – for the only time in his career, the Glazers weren't on the plane. They had taken another plane to Philadelphia. And he looked at Lauren, and she goes, this isn't right. You know, some, something's up. And then, of course, he got fired when he got back. His key wouldn't work in the rain and all that. And, uh, and he, wrote, he wrote in the book, which I try to remind my wife these, to remember these phrases, that Rick Stroud was right, you know, that they, <laughs> they had this deal. Uh, and the irony of all of it is that when Parcells pulled out, you know, that's how they ended up with John Gruden. First, they're going to hire Marvin Lewis, and then they didn't like him. And then they offered it to Steve Mariucci. And before he could say no, they made the trade for John Gruden. Um, and, you know, he, he goes and, and he wins, you know, he wins a Super Bowl. And so, um, you know, and Tony winds up going to the Colts and, you know, and, and does well there and wins a Super Bowl of his own. But, it got it got pretty hairy there for a while, but a year later, one year later, after the Glazers denied at first that any of this was was really happening, one year later, um, when when Bill Parcells signed a contract with the Dallas Cowboys to coach them, they pulled out a signed contract <laughs> from Bill Parcells to coach the Bucks, and they sent it to the league, and they go, "We want draft picks from the Cowboys." <laughs> <laughs> so even after a year of denying it, uh, when it came when it, when they were so mad at Parcells for just going to Dallas a year later, um, they wanted draft pick compensation. Of course, the league told them to go pound sand or whatever. Well, and that you, that your story reminds me of another difference between the Bucks and the Bengals. Not to belabor the point, but the Glazers are big game hunters. Yeah, true. They're going true. after Parcells, Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you you name. You've named coaches over the years that Chip Kelly and Chip Kelly. You know, yeah, I mean they—they're big game hunters. Where Mike Brown waits and waits. He's patient. And it frustrates yeah. the fans to no end. I mean, a lot of fans yeah. were ready for Marvin Lewis to be gone long before he was. Yeah, um, and and I don't. But the guy was winning ten games a year. Well, you know what I mean. Won, he just wasn't winning playoffs. Once that games. once that streak ended, though, they wanted him gone quicker and. I know, but I know. but that's not the way Mike Brown operates. Is he doesn't really make moves until Rash he decision. absolutely has yeah. to. Whether yeah. you know uh, when they build a new stadium, when Marvin Lewis was hired, mm-hmm. the Bengals had always every coach that they ever hired was pretty much within 
once Mike Brown took over or had some history with the organization. That's right. They they opened the new stadium in 2000. Everyone signed three-year deals for mm-hmm. advertising suites, all this stuff in the new stadium. Right. So 2003 comes and renewals are extremely low. Mm-hmm. And so for the first time, they fire the coach and they go outside the organization to hire Marvin Lewis. And it was all about tickets and, and sweet sales and advertising and that that was drying up mm-hmm. after the three-year deals were done. They, he was mm-hmm. – the fans will tell you he was forced to make those moves. Forced his hand, yeah. Because the revenue wasn't going to be there the same. So I have mm-hmm. to make this move now. And that's what – there's a big difference in, in the, the frustration of the sons aren't doing as well as the dad – but Mike Brown will sit and wait and is very patient. Where the Glazers, they're, I mean, they've, how five many coaches, coaches have they in nine years? In? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> five um, and nine, yeah. They're, they're not patient. Now, whether they're making the right decisions is a different question, but they're, True. they're big game hunters and they, go, they, they shoot big. They don't always hit their target. They do. And, and they've they even had signed contracts that don't come through, but. <laughs> That's right. Probably more than we know. <laughs> you know? Who knows who they tried to get and they couldn't, but yeah, I would agree with you. And when, you know, when or if uh, BA leaves, they'll be looking for another big name, I assure you. All right, great questions. We appreciate all of them. We'll do the mailbag again next week, tell you how you can submit those. And in the meantime, enjoy uh, the beginning of sports. We got spring training coming next week, next Wednesday. I'm sure we'll have a chance maybe to talk to one of our baseball guys, Mark Tompkin or Ed Encina. Um, and then I believe we have uh, Tom Jones next week. So lots of fun on the podcast. We appreciate you guys joining us. We're here every Monday through Friday. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 